live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. <laughs> okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So, Eric Bilson, I was telling this story earlier. I, we were having a, a photographer of this magazine was over this morning taking pictures, and I, it's a sign of age. I go to get up from the couch, and I tweaked my back. Oh. You know, it's just, I, I don't know. It's not nothing bad, but, but I, and then I, I meant to, like, take some Aleve or Advil or something like that, and I, I just, I kind of forgot. And so I get here, and, and Mercure, my pod pal, he's mm-hmm. like, well, I, I've got this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, is it like Aleve or Advil? Well, it's just, it's pretty much the same as this, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, so this must be trusted. Okay, well, give me one. I'll, I'll take the one so we'll we'll see Gru, who's producing the show today and always if my head just kind of like nods off we know that that mccure has heavier duty stuff than i, I thought but it, I, I said this is the act this is the ultimate sign of trust these tell me oh this is ibuprofen it's it's like a leave or advil or whatever okay give me Some one you know weird, nondescript bottle I, right exactly that was it so i but pills i are I, all different colors i, I took i said well just just give me one not two we'll we'll see how that goes <laughs> which is well, it, it was yeah it was yeah good luck good luck with that you know so again you, you want to be listening because about one four you know, the, the, all of a sudden there's like dead dead air. It's like, okay, Jeff has passed out because of this. No, we will be fine. We will get through it. Let's get started. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and there were Veterans Day celebrations all over the area, all over the state, and all over the country. Veterans Day, as we talked a little bit about yesterday, it, it, it traces back to 1926 when it was originally Armistice Day, um, designed to commemorate the end of World War One. Then in the 1950s, it became Veterans Day as a way of recognizing the contributions of veterans um, alive and deceased. All right. So there's all sorts of different celebrations. I want to talk about the University of Virginia. For the last decade plus, the ROTC cadets at the University of Virginia have staged in, in recognition remembrance, celebration, whatever word you want to use, of Veterans Day, they have staged a 24-hour vigil where they, they stand vigil in the commons at the University of Virginia. All right? What has happened at the end of that 24-hour period to, to mark the ending of it for the last you know year after year after year, they have commemorated, recognized the end of the vigil by by giving a 21-gun salute, right? You know, and you're probably familiar with the 21-gun salute. It's It has its, I mean, in the United States, it traces back to, you know, the, the 1800s, where just a kind of a, a recognition, it has a various history, but it's, it's a salute, 21-gun salute, and you've probably seen how they, they do this. Um, maybe it's like seven riflemen who fire, you know, three shots into the air, hence the 21 guns. You know, you, you, you've seen, I'm undoubtedly you've probably seen this. They have done this every year for the last goodness knows how long to mark the end of the vigil. They were not permitted to do it yesterday. The president 
of the University of Virginia nixed this, said, nope, we're, we're not going to do this. Why did he say that we're not going to do this anymore? He says, well, first of all, I am concerned that it would be disruptive to classes. And secondly, with the gun violence that we have in the United States, I have a concern that we would cause a panic if someone heard gunshots on the grounds. So the idea that you have, again, it's Veterans Day, you have this 24-hour thing that's going on, and it culminates in a 21-gun salute. President says, no, we don't want to do this because I think it might be disruptive because, what, boom, 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 boom. You know, it takes, what, about 10 seconds to do. And secondly, people might panic and freak out, despite the fact that we publicize what is going on. So in America... In 2019, on a college campus, we can't have the 21-gun salute to mark the conclusion of Veterans Day. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And this, to me, is the hysteria that is sweeping this country when it comes to firearms and gun violence and, and the like. This is a military ceremony. It is Veterans Day. You publicize that you do it. And I guess, is it possible that somebody somewhere might hear this? And again, my guess is the whole thing is done in probably less than 10 seconds before it, you know, it's over. But the idea that somebody somewhere might hear this and might be freaked out is now the reason why I guess we, we don't do this. Which, I mean, makes me wonder, what? where do we go from here? Do we say we're not going to have sirens on ambulances anymore because somebody might be freaked out and think that, oh, gosh, I, I hear a siren on an ambulance. That might mean that there's been, I don't know, a school shooting or something. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. UVA cancels a 21-gun salute because the kids might not be able to cope with it. What do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Now, yesterday was Veterans Day. The way it has been typically remembered at the University of Virginia is their ROTC cadets. They stand vigil for 24 hours, and at the end of the 24 hours, they have a 21-gun salute in the school commons. Oh, my goodness, a 21-gun salute. The president canceled it because he was afraid these snowflakes at the University of Virginia, number one, um, they might have been traumatized by hearing the gunshots as part of the salute. Number two, it might have been disruptive to classes for the 10 to 15 seconds that it occurred. 414-799-1620. I tell you, this stuff makes my head want to explode. Michael texts, maybe we should cancel the 4th of July, too, shaking my head. Yeah, that, that, that that's exactly it. Remember, we're, we're trying to do that in one area where you've got the guy that shoots off the cannons in the local community and you got some people that are particularly upset about that yeah what about fireworks do we need to do away with fireworks because some people might mistake the sound of fireworks for bombs or something like that i mean at what point in time do we say you know you gotta 
just recognize that there's things that we do to commemorate certain things. And the reality of this is you can't legislate to the lowest common denominator. Is it possible that somebody on the campus of the University of Virginia might hear that 21-gun salute and say, what was that? Yeah, I guess it's it's possible. But at the same time, then somebody else simply says, oh, that's the ROTC cadets. And by the way, did you know this is Veterans Day? Here's a text. Jeff, a great majority of our educators continue continue to show their complete lack of common sense. Go figure. Um, yeah, there's that too. Jeff, I can only imagine that Thomas Jefferson is rolling his grave, wondering what in the world happened to his university. Well, I think there's probably something to that as well. Steve Tex, please proceed to your safe place now. Snowflakes. Yeah, I think that's it as well. And then Bob text, I guess we're going to have to stop the 21 gun salute at funerals. Um, well, you know, that's, there is that element as well. You know, you have, you know, you have the military funerals and you have, you know, the different salutes where um, gunshots and, and they're not firing bullets, by the way, they fire blanks. That's what they do. So you don't have to worry about the bullets coming down. But, um, you know, this is the whole idea. You know, it is a it is a tribute. Do you have to do it? No, you, you don't have to do it. It's not like it's something that, you know, you can't still have the vigil. But my point is, at what point in time do we try to say, look, th- these are traditions, and yes, there might be somebody somewhere who gets offended by them or doesn't understand what's going on, but the fact that that person is ignorant, does that mean that you can't have this occasion occurring? Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I like to say, I don't know if they should cancel it or not, but I don't think you should really call it ridiculous. Look at all the gun violence we have. I mean, you're sort of downplaying gun violence, and a lot of it occurs on college campuses. But but this so is I, but this I, isn't I a shooting. This is a military. This is I, this is I a military that. event. I get that, but you act like it's unheard of that somebody who didn't hear that it was going on would. Yeah, maybe mistaken for a shooting at a Well, okay, then okay, then I say then they're ignorant. If they don't know that this is Veterans Day and this is part of a tribute that is done, maybe you educate them. Does that mean you cancel it because they're ignorant and don't not, know what's happening? I'm not saying you cancel it, but uh, but I'm saying I, a lot of people would be most college I went to Notre Dame, most colleges don't have something where they shoot off uh do a seven a twenty one gun salute. So I would say they're ignorant. They may not know about it. Well, that's what I mean. They're ignorant of what they're ignorant of what the event is. That's what I mean. They're ignorant of yeah. what's an event. So so don't you instead of canceling it, don't you then just educate them? Well, what was that noise? Oh, it's the ROTC kids. We've had this twenty four hour vigil. Well, I would agree if you could educate everybody, but I don't think you could just say it's crazy or ridiculous for the president of the school to at least be concerned about that with all the mass shootings. We well, but, Tell us some of the parents. Well, but it's I, not. I, but I but it's not. But this isn't a shooting. This this I is not it. Well, but then you're saying you're concerned. Tell it to the parents. I. Tell it to the parents. Well, what are you going to tell to the parents? You know, we're having this military event. That then that leads to the thing. Do do we not do we not have this at, at funerals? I mean, I don't know if you if you live in the neighborhood and you're by where there's a, a military funeral and they they have the you know the gunshots that are fired. Um, do, do we say, well, okay, the, the parents, because there's shootings that are out there, I mean, I don't understand what tell it to the parents means. And again, by ignorant, I mean they do not, they do not know what this event is.
Okay, I, I accept that. You try to educate them, but if the alternative is, well, we don't have it because somebody might not have gotten the message somewhere and their sensibilities might be bothered, sorry, I just don't think we legislate to the lowest common denominator. You know, and, and maybe maybe it would be a good thing that the people on the campus at the University of Virginia understood that, by the way, yesterday was Veterans Day and this is the way we commemorate this on the square. We have this um, ongoing 24-hour vigil, and at the end, to mark this, we have the 21-gun salute, as opposed to, oh, my gosh, I'm cringing, I'm offended, I, I'm just, I don't understand, I've got to go to my safe place. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, last evening. I'm on the phone. I am talking to my son-in-law, Darren, about uh, actually some information of some, of some charitable events that we're going to be doing. And, and I, I, I was kind of kidding him. I said, well, he, he and my daughter-in-law and my stepdaughter, Jenny, had a, they, they went to the Wisconsin game on Saturday in Camp Randall. And then they went to the uh, Packers game on, on Sunday at Lambeau Field. And they've got teenage kids. I'm saying, what do you do? Just leave the kids running the streets and stuff like that? But no, they, they went to have fun. But we, I, so I said to Darren, I said, well, how, how, where were you sitting at the end of the game? That must, you know, cause the Packers have that big goal line stand, you know, where they, they stop the guy from getting in at the end. I said, where were you sitting? Did you get a good view of it? And he said, well, honestly, I was, uh, we were walking to the parking lot. <laughs> so, okay, which of course, then, then just I said, you walk to the parking lot. You mean they're behind by a touchdown, and, and you leave before the end of the game? That's like walking out of a baseball game when there's a no hitter going on in the eighth inning. You sit through the whole thing, you sit through the snow, and you walk out at that point in time when the one team still has a chance to win. And to which I got, yeah, we we kind of did. So I said, all right, well, I, I he said, you're going to talk about that on the radio. I said, of course I'm going to talk about that on the radio. You walk, who you don't walk. You spend the whole day at Lambeau Field. You sit out in the snow, and you know you leave and you miss some of the most exciting plays that are there. But anyway, they they walked out. That isn't what I want to discuss with with you, other than the fact that it's, how do you walk out at that point in time if you stay? I mean, I get it if you stay if it's you're cold, you're miserable. You say, okay, we're leaving at halftime or something. I get that, but how do you leave right before the the final drive? Crew looks like you're not going to defend them, are you? No, I, well, a little bit. I, I remember you giving me a lot of guff because I did this last year during the Packers season, and and I think Doug Russell was here or something, and it was it was the talk of everything that day. <laughs> yeah. You were like, "What on earth were you thinking?" Because I left in the fourth quarter with them like down by three, and they uh, oh the yeah, field okay, goal or something right. like that. Okay, yeah, yeah I probably but, did. So okay, so obviously my my son-in-law did not learn from your mistake there because well, I, I already know the answer to this in a baseball sense but you've never left like a packer game early or anything like it, that not if the game is in not if the game is close so i mean yeah right. right i mean yeah if, if there i mean there's been games that i've gone to that if in the middle of the fourth quarter the packers are ahead by three touchdowns or they're behind by three or four touchdowns yeah i've, I've walked out there when we my, my buddy evan and i when we were at that brewers game where miami beat them like yep. 17 to two or whatever Yes, we we left in. I, I couldn't watch any more of it. We we left in the fifth inning. But you know, I, but if it's a close game, no, we we stay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so I mean, bat. I I go to most of the Marquette men's basketball games, and I'm not going to say I don't leave at some point in time. But if it's a close game, I'm I'm staying. If it's a blowout one way or the other, maybe you get a head start on traffic. But in any event, 
that's not where I was really going for this other than I wanted to kind of mock Darren and Jenny for leaving the game early um, and missing the goal. Because I was really curious. So what did it look like live? You know, did you think the guy got in the end zone or not? And he said, well, we just don't know because we were walking to the parking lot. But but here's here's what I really want to talk to you about related to that. The um, he, he was telling me that driving home, and they live in Sussex, so they're, they're coming back, um, and I – I, I don't know whether they were taking 41 or 43. I didn't ask that question. But he, he told me that he thought it was one of the most treacherous drives that he had had in a long, long time. He said, literally, he said the roads were terrible, glare ice, cars in the ditches, collisions all over. He said it was really one of these incredible white-knuckle drives. Our very own Doug Russell, who was up there, he said it took him what would normally be maybe a two-hour drive, took him over four hours to get back. And I'm looking at this story on today's TMJ4 talking about this. Um, If you thought it was bad, it was. Law enforcement said they responded to more than 100 crashes between Green Bay and Milwaukee following the Packers game. Um, Apparently black ice, no salt got put down, cars in the ditches, people, of course, driving way too fast for conditions, etc., etc. Tow truck drivers, you know, all throughout the area, kept busy all night pulling cars out of the ditches. Um, and, And apparently it was just... It was just a disaster brought on by a number of different things, including uh, the intensity of the snowfall. But I, I think it's also true that while people drive like idiots, and that's that the guy that passes you going 20 miles an hour of speed limit is the same guy that you see in the ditch half a mile down the road. I, I think knowing that you had a lot of people that were going to be on the roads between Milwaukee and Green Bay, is it fair to say that the public works departments should have done a better job of preparing the roads, whether it's putting down salt or being aggressive with salt trucks or getting the plows out or whatever. If you were coming back, you know, was it as bad as it sounds like it was? And, you know, is it partially the responsibility and the blame for the people that are supposed to be getting the roads ready that they did what I think was probably a bad job of making things safe. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, I had I had some friends that went to the Green Bay game on Sunday, and they said they took I-43 home. Two miles of black ice. It was a white-knuckle ride all the way home. Two miles Two of mile. black ice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, add to that, Milwaukee not falling until 9 o'clock in the morning yesterday. I don't know what's going on. Well, I don't I, – I mean, and, of course, you know – I mean, thanks to call, Mike. And, of course, what, what's frustrating is you, you – first of all, this was predicted – it, it it was predicted. I, I make fun of the weather people from time to time, but but this was this was predicted that you were going to have that snowfall. It was a continuous thing, and you would have thought that, especially since you know that these are going to be heavily traveled roadways, you would have thought you would have been particularly aggressive in trying to deal with this. Jeff, I was at the Packer game Sunday. The drive back to Oconomowoc was the worst I have ever encountered in at least twenty years. Roads were terrible, and people need to slow 
down. Um, yeah. And again, look, and I, I, I'm not exclusively blaming, you know, the, the road crews for not getting stuff prepared because people drive like bats out of you nowhere. And, and that, that's always a cause of it. But still, Jeff, I agree with your son-in-law. I stayed at my parents in West Bend and it took three hours. 41 was horrible and not plowed or salted properly. I realized in Fond du Lac and took uh, a one-lane highway to West Bend that was in better shape than the freeway. Um, yeah, Jeff, I'm so glad we left early because 41 South was awful. I can only imagine how worse it would have been with more snow, a bunch of kooky drivers, and a snootful. Um, the bridge over Lake Butamore near Oshkosh was particularly treacherous. Um, let's see. Uh, da, da, da. I live in Waukesha, work in Whitefish Bay. My commute is usually 45 minutes. The freeways are always salt and plowed. It was a disaster yesterday morning. It was a two-hour commute, one hour sitting on the 94 parking lot. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. I have to tell you, driving back to Chicagoland, uh, that was really a bad drive. Uh, where the speed limit on 43 is typically 70, we were going 45. So many pickup trucks in the road. Yeah. We counted only two northbound uh, plows and none going south. I forgot what uh, county we went through or what town, but we saw them getting into the trucks. The trucks weren't even on the road at that time. And once we hit Milwaukee, then the temperature went up, and then it was more rain, and then we were able to go faster. But coming down, that was one of the more white-knuckle rides I've ever driven. Yeah, I mean, it just, and again, you, I mean, I understand sometimes, you know, when, when we try to fight Mother Nature, Mother Nature wins. But the sense I'm getting is that they were woefully unprepared for something that, that was predicted. I mean, you know you're going to have thousands of cars that are going to be hitting that stretch of roadway, and you know when they're going to be hitting it. So why not be aggressive and get salt down and get the plows out and make it a priority? Southbound, uh, again, because that's the route we were traveling, but to see the two going northbound, yeah. nothing southbound. That, that was very frustrating. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks for call, because that's not the direction people are going. Chris in Cedarburg. Hi, Chris. You're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you? You know, I just thought they it was just ridiculous because we knew it was coming, or they knew it was coming. And, and you know, with that first quarter inch, whatever, the sleet, the snow, once that hits it and they're not, you know, scooping it up and putting the salt out, it's just like black ice or it's right. like black ice with the, you know, the fluff over it. And it's like, you know, I mean, come on, this, this is Wisconsin. This, this is not Kentucky. Right. Well, well, right. And, 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 I, and again, I, I understand that that some of the crazy drivers make things worse. And, and then, you know, once you have the first spin out, that could create chain link. But but, but my sense was you just I, I, my sense was it this in this particular situation, you could have been the best driver in the world and you could have still easily ended up in a ditch. Oh, there were semis and trailers and they were going so slow. And then, you know, like they're maybe a little faster than you within, you know, uh, a half mile of the road. They're already in the ditch. And they weren't driving crazy. It was just like one one starts to fishtail, and it's yeah. like every oh my gosh, you know. So I hope that they you know learn from this, or at least 
apply themselves better for <laughs> right. the future. <laughs> no, let, 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 let's go with learn from this, Chris. I think that's the way to be. I, 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 like, again, okay, when, and, it, and, and look, maybe, maybe I'm just being simplistic about this, but all right, Green Bay Packers, Lambeau Field, 70,000 whatever people are going to be there, a lot of whom are going to be driving southbound. It is the winter. These are, you know, slick roads. Maybe when, you know, there is a chance of snow or maybe when it starts, that's when you pick up the phone and you start mobilizing the snow plows and the salt and you get them out there so you don't have you know what apparently happened the other day chris in milwaukee chris you're on wtmj oh hey jen thanks for taking my call hi chris yeah the uh i came back on 43 and with uh, i mean seventy four thousand people at lambo it took me about four and a half hours to get home on 43 four and a half hours normally what two hours or so huh yeah when we drove up uh, about eight o'clock in the morning yeah, it only took us about an hour, hour and fifty minutes to get there. Wow, so it was it was bad. Right, home. right, and and so did you see a lot of cars in the ditch and stuff? Not so much in the ditch, but like I was telling uh, your screener, mm-hmm. uh, from Green Bay to Sheboygan was basically just one lane because there was nothing plowed. And, um, what one of your previous callers said was there's snow on top of the ice and. I think I hit a top speed of 40 miles an hour um, coming home from Green Bay before I hit Milwaukee Town. How, how can the roads not be plowed? <laughs> you know, I, see, that's what I don't get. I mean, how, how, how can you not be aggressive when you see that you know, the snow is starting to accumulate? How can you not be out plowing that stretch of road? I don't understand. Oh, I, I, I agree 100%. It's, this is winter in Wisconsin. I mean, you, the right. weather people predict this, and it's... Right. It, it never goes according to plan, obviously, but it just seems like they drop the ball on it. Right. So. No, I, absolutely. Thanks for calling. And again, this is, I, I'm not, I'm not complaining about. Okay, this was this was something that happened. It's always tough, you know, Sunday afternoon or whatever. So you know, maybe this isn't mobilized and all. But we're talking about the main road that you're going to travel between Milwaukee and Green Bay, or vice versa. And you know, there's going to be thousands and thousands of people out on the roadways. I'd be curious as to what Tony Evers' Department of Transportation was thinking, or the counties that were responsible for getting out and taking care of those roads. Nicole and Aaron. Nicole, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Um, Sure thing. On Sunday night, we drove home from Hudson, Wisconsin, so it took like 94 all the way going eastbound, and we live in Erin. And normally it takes about 4 hours and 17 minutes. Well, it was 7 plus hours to get home. I saw at least 8 massive car accidents where they had, you know, uh, emergency vehicles on the scene. And then um, there was at minimum 20 cars that you just saw smashed on the side of the road, flipped upside down on the side of the road, just left there because the black ice was unbelievable. And why? And I'm really glad you're talking about this because I want to get a message to the DOT. What the heck are we doing? Right. We know how to prepare for this. Why are we not doing anything when we know this is going to happen? People right. are going to die. Well, so I'm not trying to be extreme, but that's true. Well, well right. And when you see, look, and, and I understand sometimes people get a little bit surprised. Maybe they predict flurries, and, and it becomes a little more intense. But you got to be able to ramp this stuff up and get the, get the plows out there and get the salters out there. And and I, I get the sense that, uh, especially, you know, you saw what you saw coming back from, you know, the West. But, but, I mean, Lambo, that's what everybody else is saying here. And at least, yeah. I mean, maybe they didn't know you were driving from, Hud, Hud, uh, from Hudson to Aaron, but they sure as heck knew that there would be thousands of cars on that road yeah. between Lambo and Milwaukee. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Well, glad you... It's been going since October 31st. We've had snow. So we've had time to prepare now. What in the heck is taking so long to get the salt trucks out? Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I don't... I, I would tell you, around here, the, the roads are awful. I, I mean... There's just, I mean, there's a layer of ice. Now, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to melt at the end of the week when it gets a tad warmer. But, I mean, right now, I, in my opinion, the roads are as bad as I have seen them because, again, pretty much collectively unprepared to deal with the problem. Yes, it is what it is, but that doesn't mean we need to be satisfied by it. Glad you made it home safely. Hopefully you made it home safely. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So we just heard that commercial, uh, the, the, the advertisement for like the Humane Society and stuff. Okay, so as I was saying earlier, we had this photographer at the house today taking pictures of us for this magazine story that Fran and I are going to be featured in. And we, of course, took several of the dogs. You can't do a story on myself and my wife without doing a picture story of her dog. And they were actually, the photographer was great. So we now have all these, I think we're going to have all these super pictures of, of, of Sasha with us. But also, Sasha was posing herself. I think once Sasha figured out that they were taking her picture, she embraced it. So we're going to have all sorts of great pictures of her as well, and maybe a couple that we're going to be able to turn into the Christmas cards. Hope so. All right, this is just what San Francisco needs. Now, all up and down the West Coast, they have an enormous problem with homelessness, and and to the point that the, the the streets and this is it's San Francisco is probably the worst but you have it in in Los Angeles you have it in San Diego you have it in Portland you have it in Seattle where you have the, the streets of the downtown areas are essentially overrun with with people who are are homeless now some of the people are just dispossessed and some people you know have mental illness problems some people have drug and alcohol problems etc but the bottom line is you, you have this real tension that is out there between the people that are, are living on the streets and aggressively panhandling on the streets and you know putting their shopping carts and their bedrolls and stuff in front of businesses so people you know can't can't get into work, can't go to the shops, etc. versus the, the fact that we want to be compassionate to those who are less fortunate and the people that are homeless. So there is this tension that is there. Okay, against this backdrop, San Francisco just elected a new district attorney. And the new district attorney is a guy who apparently his his parents were former radicals in in the 60s. And, you know, he comes from a background of being kind of a far leftist himself, and he's um, part of, he was a public defender, etc. And he ran on a platform, uh, essentially, that, you know, we, we shouldn't criminalize, we, we got to get away from trying to criminalize, um, you know, behavior that many people would think would be antisocial. He's apparently running on a platform, and he was elected that he, he's not going to, as a district attorney, authorize the prosecution of what they call quality of life crimes. So public camping, which is flopping on the sidewalks, not going to prosecute it. Offering or soliciting sex, not going to prosecute it. Not going to prosecute it. Public urination, not going to prosecute it. So now, you know, you want to pee on the streets of San Francisco. Apparently, you get, you know, you get a pass to do that. Blocking a sidewalk. Nope, since you're not going to prosecute that. You want to put down your shopping cart and your bedroll in the middle of the financial district so people have to walk around it. That That's fine. 
pooping on the sidewalk. I swear. I swear. They've had this huge problem in San Francisco where people just just poop wherever they want. And I'm just going to let that linger for a second. Okay, can you imagine walking down the sidewalk of your local community? Okay, I used to live in Whitefish Bay, Silver Spring Drive. You got the businesses. You're going to Oakland Avenue in Shorewood. You just people sitting there pooping on the sidewalks. And in San Francisco, they have decided that okay, they're going to they're going to do this. Last year, I don't exaggerate, the city of San Francisco assigned six workers to the poop patrol. Steve Scafidi doesn't think that they should pick up leaves. In San Francisco, they've got to pick up people poop. And get this, they signed six workers to the poop patrol to rid the streets of human waste. They received 27,000 requests to pick up poop last year. 27,000 requests. And now the new district attorney says, I'm not going to prosecute quality of life things. So you want to pee on the sidewalks? Okay, pull it out and go to it. You want to poop on the sidewalks? Go to it. I don't know about you, but that really makes me want to go visit San Francisco. And it really makes me want to go live there. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, a very special interview. Been looking forward to this guest for quite a while. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Dr. Deborah Lipschatt is a professor of modern Jewish history and Holocaust studies at Emory University in Atlanta. She has written a number of books on, on the Holocaust. Interestingly, I, I think her, her life uh, kind of took a, a churn in 1993 following the publication of a book that she wrote called Denying the Holocaust, The Growing Assault on Truth and Memory. Well, what happened is one of the guys that she identified as a Holocaust denier ended up suing her for libel, not in the United States, but in England, where the laws are substantially different. In, in essence, if you're accused of libel in England, unlike in the United States, you have to prove that what you said was correct. Rather than backing down, Dr. Lipstadt went through a, a trial. It was like a 10-week trial where ultimately she prevailed, of course. This became the subject of a movie in 2016 called The Denial. Um, it, very, very interesting. She is going to be in town next week speaking at a, an event for the Holocaust Education Resource Center. And I am very thrilled to have Dr. Deborah Lipstadt as a guest. Good afternoon, Doctor. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, in 2019, are there still Holocaust deniers out there? There are. There are, particularly on the far right, um, who, and if you go on their websites, I don't suggest your listeners do because they're ugly and they'll follow you back and et cetera, but I do it, and there are people who deny and who make uh, great sport of it. That's what I call hardcore denial. People who denial, deny the facts, even though for them to be right, who would have to be wrong? Survivors, bystanders, the people who lived in the towns and villages around the killing sites who saw what was happening, saw the trains going in filled with people coming out empty. Uh, thousands and thousands of historians in, in every place in the world, the United States, North America, uh, Europe, Etc. Uh, Japan, South America, 
And, of course, the perpetrators who say it happened. German, no German, no, no perpetrator of any nationality has ever said it didn't happen. That's hardcore denial, and we still see it on the right. And, but it's far less respectable than it was when uh, during my tra- before my trial, the trial actually was in the year 2000. Um, what we see on the left is what I call softcore denial. Uh, why are we hearing about the Holocaust again? Why are the Jews talking about the Holocaust again? Oh, the Holocaust wasn't so bad. Uh, the Jews are making a big fuss about it. Well, we hear about it again because it happened in a uh, what began in a democratic country. It happened in the heart of Europe. It didn't happen in some third world, you know, quote unquote, God forsaken place, as some people like to describe the third world. Um, and uh, the whole world sat by. So it's a message to us today that these things can take place, and they can take place in very cultured and very advanced societies. Yeah. So, yes, it's, that's a long answer to yes, it's still there, but in different forms. You know, Doctor, I, I was in Amsterdam a couple months ago, and we had the opportunity to go through the Anne Frank House. And, and yeah. I was just, first of all, it's just an incredibly moving experience. If anybody does that, they should. But I guess I was just stunned. At, at the end of World War II, it almost seems like the Nazis spent more time trying to figure out how to round up Jewish people than they did about trying to figure out how to win the war. I was just stunned by the number of people who, in the last year or two of the war, ended up being sent to the concentration camps. Right. I mean, uh, uh, Anne Frank and her family were on the last train out of Amsterdam, uh, either the last, the next to last train out of Amsterdam uh, to the concentration camps. And, of course, only her father survived. Uh, I often think that if the Germans had put as much energy into fighting the war as they did into destroying the Jews, it might have come out differently. Uh, but this was an obsession for them. And the killing of the Jews was not a sideline. It was, this was a war on two fronts, a war against uh, the Allies and the Soviets and a war against the Jews. And they said it on the first day of the war. Um, so that, uh, you know, if, if the Germans had won, they would have, and I put this in big quotation marks, finished the job, so to speak, mm-hmm. against uh, gay people. They they persecuted gays in male male in Germany, but not in most other countries. Uh, they would have finished the, the job again in quotation marks with the Roma and the Sinti, sometimes called gypsies. They would have killed the Mongols. They would have killed many, many other people. There was no end to their list of people they wanted to get rid of on the face of the earth, earth, useless eaters. Uh, um, But only with the Jews did it have to happen right now during the war, even as the war was going on. So it's quite something. It's quite something. Doctor, um, you know, I know that there's been, at least according to reports, that there's been a a rise of reports of anti-Semitic incidents over the the last several years, an increasing number. Is is that something that that you're seeing and you're following? And what what do you think is causing that? Very, very, very closely. In fact, I believe the FBI uh, disclosed on Tuesday that Jewish Americans were once again the religious group most targeted by religiously motivated bias crimes. That's the FBI speaking, not me speaking. Um, so uh, we're very disturbed. We're very concerned. We're concerned about things, repetition of things like uh, Pittsburgh or like uh, six months later in, in, in San Diego County in Poway, in Poway California. Uh, we're concerned about uh, not just 
shootings and 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 killings like that, but structural anti-Semitism, denigration of Jews from right and from left, from Islamist extremists, from lots of different sources. And I can't tell you whether there are more anti-Semites now or not, because we don't have a number on that. But I can tell you that the barriers that many of them felt against what they was against expressing anti-Semitism are down. They feel freer to say these things. Well, you know, it's interesting because in advance of our interview, I was trying to think about this, and I wonder if that's one of the effects of, of the Internet, that maybe there were always a lot of these people out there, but they never had the, the ability to really give themselves a voice. And now with, with the Internet, which has a lot of wonderful things on it, but it also has a lot of dark corners, does, does, this, does, does this give that person who's in their parents' you know, basement or whatever, does it now give them a voice that they might otherwise not have had? Absolutely. And as you say, the Internet is a wonderful thing. It allows us to connect with family and friends we don't see. It allows us to do research. It allows us to learn things we have never. It's a super highway of information. But when I first began working on this topic, if you wanted to receive Holocaust denial material, you got it in a plain brown envelope to a post office box. Now all you have to do is talk to Mrs. Google, as I like to call her, and, and you can find it in a nanosecond. You can find the most anti-Semitic, racist, homophobic, uh, horrible, horrible stuff easily, and it spreads easily, and we see that, and we see it influencing young people and not just young people. To that point, are we doing a good enough job of educating young people about the Holocaust and about the aftermath of that? Yeah, I don't think so. Even though there's a lot of wonderful research, including by scholars in Milwaukee uh, at the university and in other places, um, I don't think so. And, and it's not just about telling them what a horrible thing happened 70 years ago, but it's, a, it's about teaching them um, that, it begins with words. The Holocaust did not begin with shootings or with, uh, you know, gas chambers. The Holocaust began with words, and it, it escalates from there. It doesn't mean that everybody who speaks hateful words, whether they're against Jews, against people of color, whomever they might be against, will turn out to be a killer, will turn out to be a vile anti-Semite. But everyone who turns out to be a killer began hearing the words, reading the words, and speaking the words. And I think it's so important to teach people that, that that words count and how necessary it is to speak out about this, how necessary it is to recognize hate, even if it sounds academic, even if it sounds constrained, you know, not just the Ku Klux Klan and the far-right types or the anti people or whatever it might be, but how it can come from mainstream folk. I, I'm, on, a, on a lighter note, I, I'm just curious that the, the 2016 movie, The Denial, w- was based on your involvement in the libel trial and stuff. What's, right. it like to, what's it like to have a movie made about something that happened to you? It's an out-of-body experience. I still don't quite grasp it. When I watch the movie and they say, oh, this is Deborah Lipstadt, or where's Deborah?" I feel like sitting up saying, here I am, but it's not me they're talking about. It's Rachel Weisz. And you know what? If you're going to be played by someone in a movie, 
not a bad choice. <laughs> Right. For for people who might not know, she was um, just just uh, a wonderful actress. But she was in the original Mummy movies with with Brendan Fraser and and stuff. And in many things since then, she's a great great actor. And one of the, the delightful things is she takes her craft so seriously. She she wants to own a part. She wants to get into the person's mind. We spent a lot of time together. Uh, and just as she uh, mimicked my accent, getting <laughs> that right, it was really impressive. Now, you're going to be in Milwaukee uh, a week from tomorrow. You're speaking for, for an event for the Holocaust Education Resource Center, which, by the way, is, is sold out. But what, what, what are you going to be talking about for people who are going to be attending? I'm going to be talking about the rise in anti-Semitism today. Some of the things we spoke about in the beginning on the right and on the left. Uh, and how do we recognize it? How do we define it? And what, if anything, is, can we do about it? I'm not sure there's simple answers for solving the problem, but there are some things we can do in terms of, just like your question, in terms of education. Um, and uh, that's what I hope to be doing. I'm amazed to hear it sold out. But I think that's a reflection of people's concerns, their fears, and their feeling of looking for some sort of answers. I can't, I won't answer all their questions. I can tell them that ahead of time. But I hope to explore the issue with them. Well, Doctor, I, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I, I hope it's it's warmer. By next week. Right now, it's like 17 degrees. There's snow oh on the God. ground, and there's like a, a like a zero degree wind chill. So we're, oh we're, we're it, it is not. We're having a really really early winter here. But I'm hoping it's I great. <laughs> well, between now and when I come to Milwaukee, I'm going to Germany. So I think I'll get some cold beer as well. Maybe that'll fortify <laughs> me for coming to Milwaukee. So That's it. Thank you very much well, for having well, me. Well, Doctor, thank you for joining us. And we'll look forward to seeing You're you welcome. next week. That's, Take uh, care. You know, that's uh, Dr. Deborah Lipstadt, who, again, she's the uh, professor of modern Jewish history and Holocaust studies at Emory University. I, I almost never have guests on. I know other hosts do, but I, it's, that's not the nature of the show. But I have a, a number of friends who, who know Dr. Lipstadt well um, and were telling me about just what a compelling story. First of all, what, what a noted academic she has. It's certainly a very timely message. And I, I thought it was really interesting to hear her talk about, you know, we, we hear anti-Semitism and it's the right and the left. It, it's really, it, it comes from all sides. And um, if, if you can't tell, our, our last two river cruises, one through Austria and one you know, down the Rhine through Germany, really, um, you, you see a lot of, you, you really learn a lot about what happened in World War II, and in particular the Holocaust. And, and I, I've come out of those trips as uh, perhaps just much more appalled, if it's possible to be more appalled, that one group of people could do that to another group of people. And I just think we have to learn from the experience to make sure that that never, ever, ever happens again. So thanks to uh, Dr. Deborah Lipstadt for joining me. If you're trying to access the movie um, that we're referring to, it's uh, it's a 2016 movie. It's available on a number of the streaming services. It's called The Denial. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The issues that people think about. I, I have, and you're going to think I am making this story up, and, and, and I'm not. In, in Illinois, there is a legislator who is introducing, she's done this before, and she's going to be doing this again. She's introducing legislation which would require school districts statewide 
to provide free feminine hygiene products in each bathroom of every school building. Okay, now let me, let me break this down. Okay, so you got two things going on here. First of all, it's it's free feminine hygiene products um, in in restrooms. Okay, so that that's the one issue. Is it the taxpayer's responsibility to provide the free stuff? All right, but but that's not the real key to what I to what the issue is. The law would require that these free feminine hygiene products be put in each bathroom of every school building. So let's think about that for a second. What does that mean? That means that they would be in the girls' restrooms, but they would also be in boys' restrooms. Now, you might ask, why would the taxpayers be putting feminine hygiene products in boys' restrooms? To which the answer would be, what about the girl that identifies as as a boy and wants to use the boys restroom well don't shouldn't they have equal access to feminine hygiene products just like if they went into the girls restroom i I mean i i tell you if i live long enough i swear i'm going to hear all the the issues because i i understand that you know we've had this issue about what sort of bathroom should people go in and all that type of stuff but now we've really gotten to the point where do, do we need to put feminine hygiene products in boys rooms on the off chance that there might be some girl who identifies as a boy who's going to walk in there and use them i mean the mind really reels backwards and and did this really become the taxpayer's responsibility to pay for all this stuff to be in there and 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 who thinks up this stuff and and how is this an issue I mean, I, I do understand that there there might be that occasional situation where you have the girl who identifies as a boy who insists on using the boys' restroom who who might have you know a need for the feminine hygiene product, but for that that limited number of people for whom that would would describe, I mean, th- does the tax do you really need to have this for everybody that's in there? Again, the mind reels backwards. Speaking of of those types of issues, all right, here, here's the story. NPR wrote about this, and actually they singled out a very successful high academic school in the, the Milwaukee area, University School. University School is a um, private school. It's based out in, in River Hills. Little interesting no, note, University School used to have two campuses. The high school used to be in Whitefish Bay, and the, the, the regular campus used to be in River Hills. I, when I was in law school, Two years in a row, I made extra money. I was the debate coach at university school, so in Whitefish Bay. So that was that's that's how I made some bucks in in uh, law school for two years. Well, anyhow, what happened is they they closed the Whitefish Bay campus. Um, that's now where the Jewish Community Center is, the JCC, and, and now all the facilities are out in, in the River Hills campus. And this is it's it's a very very good school. Uh, it's high academics. Um, a lot of the kids who go there come from very well-off families, but they also have scholarships for other kids as well. All right. They are in the national news because university school is one of a handful of schools in the country that in their effort to, I don't know, avoid mean girls, what they do is at lunch, you are not allowed to sit where you want. So, you know, it's lunchtime, 
you've got your friends. I mean, this is how it was when I was in grade school. This is how it was when I was in middle school. This is how it was in high school. You know, I had my friends, and we'd sit at a table, right? That That's what we do. University school does not let you do that. University school, the way it works is students are randomly assigned to eight-person tables, which rotate depend on depending on the day's schedule. Each has a mix of kids from different grades, and there's a teacher assigned to each table, and the, the teacher's responsibility is to you know get the kids talking. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. What university school says is by doing this, well, what, what happens is we, we can get students' experience, and they meet different kids, et cetera, et cetera. Most schools across the country do not do this. There are a handful of others that do. The ones that do, typically they will assign kids to tables, but they don't have a, a teacher there to facilitate it. Most of the schools across the country, you get to sit where you want. You know, you, you've got your friends, you haven't seen them during the school day or whatever, you get to sit down with the people that you want to sit down with. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let, let's tee this up. The idea is that if we don't allow the kids to choose where they see, where they want where they sit, well, by, by definition, they're going to have to meet and interact with a broader range of, of kids. And so maybe they're going to have a broadening experience. The flip side of this is, hey, you've got your friends. You know, you're, you're in high school. Or, I mean, some of my best friends today are people that I met in seventh grade and in eighth grade and my freshman year in high school. All right, shouldn't I be able to sit with my friends? Shouldn't I be able to sit with the people that I have common interests with? You know, I'm going to interact with other sorts of people all during the day. I'm going to interact with people, you know, after school, if I'm participating in extracurricular events. Should the school be telling me that it's lunch hour and I can't sit with the people I want to sit with? All right, what do you think? 414-799-1620. Look, I'm all against kind of preventing clicks. I just don't think this is the necessarily the way to go about it. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Jeff, you should be able to sit wherever you want during lunch. Schools have bigger issues to deal with than something like this. All right, let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks so much for taking my sure. call. Um, this is my thought on this. I, I, I feel like we're getting a little overboard with our political correctness a little bit. Um, I think having kids have assigned seating at lunch, you're, you're preventing them from learning that skill of how to make friends. Mm-hmm. How to how to walk up to somebody and say, oh, what's your name? Do you want to sit by me? Oh, I like your lunch. I mean, making friends is a lifelong skill that kids need to learn, and I feel like we're we're preventing them from having any negative feelings whatsoever. Well, of course, the flip side is, I mean, I, I don't know, but when I think about my high school experience, I had, I had a group of, of very close friends who remain 
my friends to this day and and we all we, we sat together day after day after day so we had made friends but we really didn't interact at least at lunch you know we we had our own little group I, I don't click is not the right word but you know we had our own little group if you do something like this and you mix it up does that i don't know does that expose the kids to a a broader a broader range you, you get to know new kids and, and, and is there a value in that is a value, but I think there's a time and place for it. I mm-hmm. mean, you have uh, class projects. Team building, extracurricular yeah. activities, yeah. You have different small group building during the class time. Um, you know, you have sports, you have debate club. You have a lot of different things where you can get to know other kids. Right. Um, I, I think the idea is good. Let's prevent the kid that's being left out. Right. Um, from being excluded, but yet in practice, why don't we encourage that kid on on making um, friend-building yeah. skills? Yeah, I mean, I just know on a personal basis, I, I really, I enjoyed... I enjoyed my high school friends, which is why they're, they're still my friends to this day. And I, I used to look forward to the lunch hour. We could sit and we, we could get together and we can swap stories and things like that. I I looked forward to being able to hang out with, you know, my buddies. Um, thanks to call 414-799-1620. Christy in River Hills. Christy, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, I really enjoy your show. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Hi. I have three children at university school. Okay. One of them is just half day, and I have two boys that are in second grade. And um, first of all, they they do assign the seats for lunch, but they also they rotate that. Um, I'm not sure if it's every month exactly or every so many weeks. So yeah, my note says that. students are randomly assigned to eight-person tables, which rotate depending on the day's schedule. That's what my note says. And so, yeah. um, so the it has been a very positive thing, and it's part of a – the whole school culture of trying to interact with people with different grade levels. So they have children, um, like my second graders, sit at um, with teachers from different grade levels. So they get to sit with teachers they've sat with, they've had in the past, and teachers they may have in the future. They get to sit with children in second, um, third, and first grade. Um, so they are very comfortable walking down the hallway, saying hi to their upper, their older buddies, their younger buddies. It just really promotes a sense of sense of community and getting to know other people they may not normally walk or sit next to or converse with. Do you think as they get older and they develop, you know, it, it, and they, they start to develop closer friends, do you, do you think it might change at that point? I mean, I understand, like, like first and second grade, it, it's kind of a new experience for, for yeah. everybody. By the time you get to sixth and seventh and eighth grade, certainly high school, your your friendships are starting to be cemented. Do you think they might have a different reaction as they get a little older? Well, at this particular, possibly at some schools, at this particular school, they just they do have a lot of opportunity to be with their friends right. and do group projects and choose partners at different times. I just really think it's overall been very positive for them just to have that sense of community at their whole school. Well, and I can imagine also, again, from a first or second grade perspective, where everybody, this whole thing is new and overwhelming to everybody. This takes the pressure off of having to decide where you're going to eat lunch with. Although if you've got twin boys, they'd be hanging out together. They sometimes. Oh, yeah. Now, do do, do the school split them or are they together? Actually, we adopted them through foster care, so they're six months apart. Okay. Um, 
but we have decided we have made the decision as parents to have them in separate grades. Got it. Separate classes, excuse me. Understood. Got it. Thanks for listening, Christy. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Greg in West Dallas. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Greg. I want to preface what I'm saying by that fact that I was probably the most picked on kid in my middle school. I had I had a very small amount of friends, some people who were indifferent towards me, and a lot of people who just plain disliked me and were actively bullying me. Okay. So so for me, instead of being able to sit with a few people who would either just leave me alone or I could have a, a mild conversation with, I had a lot of people who who I hated. I couldn't stand, and I'd be forced to sit with them. No, <laughs> not one. You'd rather so you don't think if they had done this at your school, you don't think it would have promoted. Oh God, gosh! You know, now that we we know each other better, they're going to be nicer to me. You just think it would have made your lunch hours even more miserable than they otherwise were. No, it would have been a living hell. Yeah. Give me, give me separate space with a book. I'll be fine. Right. But right. All people who actively make my life a living hell. No, that's right. just evil. Got it. Interesting. Thanks for the perspective. And again, like like I say, from my perspective, it wasn't. I mean. Okay, I came from a my, my high school graduating class was like over five hundred people, and every once in a while I'll I'll run into people say I think we went to school together, and I kind of I I, I sort of look blankly just because you know it was over five hundred people, and um you know I, I mean I had some very close friends of course like I say who continue to be my my friends to this day, but um. It wasn't so much from my perspective. I guess it wasn't so much the gee. I, I'd hate to be at a at a table with somebody who I didn't like. It more just be. I've, I'd look forward to lunch. I, I like hanging out with my pals. Now maybe at a lower age level, it doesn't make a, as much a difference when you're like in first or second or third grade. But by the time you get to middle school, I'd, I'd like to be able to choose who who I'm going to hang with. Mary Ann in Milwaukee. Mary Ann, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Mary Ann. Um, when I was in school in that, I'd be with my friends at lunchtime, but I would sit and look to see if somebody needed some encouragement or mm-hmm. if they were sitting by themselves and that, you know. And You're you a have, good person, Marianne. Yeah, but you have to do that to en- encourage them. That's what the problem is in the school in that. Everybody over overlooks those different situations in that. You can pick out those people that, that really need a, a, a pick me up. Right. I, I think that doing with that circulation with the with the aid at the at the table. I think that's really good because you have to learn how to deal with different people and different attitudes in life. Because you're going to deal with that when you're out of school. Mm-hmm. Well, well, right, e- exactly. I mean, thank, I mean, the flip side is that you could say, well, okay, you're when you get out of school. You're going to have to learn how to interact with people and make your friends on your. I mean, if you're, if you go to, you go to work and you're working at a job in a cubicle, you've got, you know, you've got to figure out how to develop those social skills to the extent you want to do that so you can reach out and interact with your workers, which isn't to say that, I mean, I'm not against team building and things like this. Now, here's an interesting text. Jeff, I don't think it's a bad idea. I see both sides. Maybe do it once a week. Call it mix it up Wednesday. So, you know, we're going to, you know, on, on Wednesdays, you know we're gonna we're gonna have this. We're gonna split people up. Otherwise, we're gonna let you you know sit where you want. Um, interesting that this is one of the things that's there. I, again, I view this from the perspective of 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 not that I considered myself to be antisocial and not that I didn't want to couldn't interact with other sorts of people. It was more just like 
I, I like my friends and I wanted to be able to hang with my friends and I look forward to lunch to be able to, to do that. And it's not that I, you know, didn't know other people and didn't interact with them. It's just I like my buddies. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, I freely admit that I, I am not a stranger to junk television. You're talking about a guy who DVRs Gold Rush on Friday nights if he can't if he can't watch it. So I mean, I, I'm I'm that guy. Um, for until they took it off the air, I was the guy that used to. It was on some obscure channel. I used to watch this thing called Full Throttle Saloon, which was set in Sturgis, South Dakota, when, when they'd have the, the bike rally. And it was this bar that only opened up like once a year for like the 10 days during the rally. And they did this TV show about it. And they, you know, and I, I used to watch, then the, the bar burned down and, and the show kind of went away. But it was, I admit, it was terrible. It was absolutely awful junk TV, but I, I watched it in this fascinating sort of way. I mean, I, I so I, I I do not have the high road when it comes to talking about bad TV. And in this particular case, this is a TV show, which I don't even know if it qualifies as bad TV because I haven't seen it. It's just one that I have no interest in. That TV show, Dancing with the Stars. I have never, and I know Donald Driver won it a few years back. It's just, I I have no, it's just not a show that I have any any interest in but there has been a controversy involving dancing with the stars now now hear hear me out on this uh last year the the way these competitions work whether it's american idol or whatever the the way they they work is that the the at-home audience gets to vote on who they think is good and then who ends up going home because they're elimination things. So that's why, if you remember back to the heyday of American Idol, they'd have judges that would offer critiques. The judges would say you know, who their favorites were, but ultimately it was left up to the viewers who would, who would vote for, for people. Well, the problem with that was, to the extent it's a problem, is it became kind of a popularity contest. And you should have some people who really weren't that talented, but, you know, they had a compelling backstory or whatever. And so that would carry them away. So what happened with American Idol is they started, they put in this provision where the judges could save somebody who was was voted out. You know, they, they had the ability to end up doing that. Well, Dancing with the Stars, with the same sort of basic premise that the the person who the, the person who won um, was the person who got the most audience votes and I guess last year they had some country DJ a guy named Bobby Bones who received low scores but he he became sort of this internet phenomena and so everybody voted for him and despite the fact that he, he wasn't that great a dancer or whatever he, he ended up winning all right so this year, this year, they changed the rules. And so what happens is that the judges, the judges, the two people, the two couples that are in the bottom, you know, it's all these dance competitions, the two that are in the bottom, the judges decide which of those two couples go home. All right. So which brings me to the controversy. Sean Spicer, who was the former press secretary for President Trump, he was on Dancing with the Stars this year. Now, again, I, I haven't seen a minute of the show, but I have read the accounts. And, you know, I mean, I, apparently Sean Spicer can't dance. 
you know, but, but, you know, but, but, you know, and, and I'm not sure that he's really a star, you know, that, that's kind of like dancing with the stars in quotation marks, but, you know, he, he tried to dance. He, he gave it his all, but he, he's pretty consistently, at least if you look at the judges, apparently according to the counts, he, he's been the worst guy on there week after week after week because, you know, he's a political operative and he's a press secretary. He's not a dancer or he's not an athlete or anything like that. Well, he, he survived week after week after week because lots of people have voted for him, including the fact that President Trump, President Trump has been encouraging on his Twitter account people to go and to vote for Sean Spicer. So he keeps now keep in mind the way the, the, the way it works is that the bottom two, the, the bottom two couples, the judges, the judges decide which one goes. Well, I, the, the thing is. Spicer's never been in the bottom two, you know, even though the, the judges are apparently, you know, what do they know? But they pretty much, you know, said consistently, this guy is, you know, his his team, he and his partner have gotten consistently lower votes than everybody else out there. But he keeps getting through because you have this kind of cult that's out there, you know, supporting him. And you got President Trump that's that's urging this. Well, th- this all came to an end last night because the judges apparently have been incredibly frustrated that they haven't had a chance to dump Sean Spicer. But because of the way the rules were, they never got a chance. Well, I guess um, earlier this week, um, finally, you know, after eight weeks, after eight weeks of getting by, um, what happened is on on Monday they say not even President Trump's support could save him, and ultimately he was in the bottom two, and they ended up, you know, dumping him. But but he did, you know, make it into the final six contestants. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So what I find to be interesting about this is that they had to change the rules in order to make it easier to, you know, drop people who are popular on on the show. And I seriously wonder if the idea behind this is to allow, I don't know, um, allow the American public to make its judgment, you know, one way or or the other. I mean, shouldn't if if we're going to turn this into a popularity contest, shouldn't it just be a popularity contest? And I guess my question is, did Sean Spicer get hosed or has this just been he should have been gone a long time ago? And it's only but for these like kind of bizarre rules that he's been able to hang on when better people have been cut. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is it is a genuinely curious question because again, I, I when I saw that Sean Spicer was going to be on the show, I rolled my eyes and thinking, oh, he's going to be the first one to go. Well he hasn't been the first one to go. He's hang on hung on for most of the season because I suspect people are supporting him even though it's not necessarily because of his talent. So all right, is it an injustice that he was getting sent home? Is it a problem with a show like this that somebody like Sean Spicer has been allowed to be there week after week after week? For does it does it take away your enjoyment of watching this? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Dancing with the Stars fans, I want to talk to you. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
414-799-1620. Rick in New Berlin. Hi, Rick. How you doing, Jeff? Yeah, listen, I think it's uh, give us Barabbas mentality. You can't dance worth a lick. And I got to tell you, you should have been gone the first night. But here again, that's, you know, that, that's that mentality of like, bad guy or the good guy but not really good right so he was really bad huh yeah that that does not i'm not surprised by that regardless of what you think about the politics or his loyalty typically press secretaries and politicians don't strike me as necessarily being the best dancers (laughs) that's right that's it now this is pretty far in the competition right there's only a couple couples left right correct Oh, lost Rick there. I, I mean, I think he, he's he's kind of gotten down on that. Looking at this story in the New York Times, they talk about um, he's as stiff and one-dimensional as a sheet of cardboard with feet that move as if stuck in slabs of cement and arms that look like they're still gripping the lectern. Now, that might be an overly harsh type of thing, but here's the bigger point of this. And, you know, you used to see this with American Idol as well. If you're going to make it a popularity contest, well, then why not make it a, a popularity contest? And that, actually, that's one of the things that I thought was an appeal of the original American Idol. People got to vote. And, and maybe, maybe, I mean, who knows why people were voting for some of the folks there. Maybe it was because they were talented. Maybe it was because they found their backstory compelling. Didn't matter. But people were out there and they were voting for the people that they liked to vote for. I think that's kind of cool. And this idea that, well, okay, we're going to, the American people doesn't know what they're talking about, so we're going to try to manipulate it. I don't know. To me, that's less of an interest. I would have loved to have seen, I would have loved to have seen how far this guy could have gone. Now, obviously, he went as far as President Trump's support could, could get him, and ultimately there was a rebellion among the rest of the people who were dancing with the stars voters. But you know what? You got to give the guy credit for putting himself out there. All I know is that if somebody said, okay, Jeff, we're going to try to do this locally and, you know, we're, we're going to have dancing with the radio personalities and would you do it? I, I don't think I would. So I give Sean Spicer about a bit of credit. Okay, when we come back, should he become a citizen? We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. who is producing the show today and always. You know who Neil Young is, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and, and Young. He is a, a Canadian rock and roll singer, songwriter, etc. I mean, probably, like, I, like I say, his probably his biggest days were Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, but he, he's had a number of performances, a solo artist. It's uh, Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And, you know, he's, he's a talented guy. He's also like an uber, uber lefty, and from all I can tell by descriptions, a very, a very kind of prickly personality. Um, just, you know, he's he's one of these kind of difficult sort of rock stars, okay? And also extremely liberal. All right. He's born in Canada. He is a Canadian citizen. He wants to become a U.S. citizen. He wants dual citizenship so that he can vote in the 2020 presidential election. All right. So what, what happened is he apparently, he, he took his citizenship test and he passed. Um, but what happened is his citizenship has apparently been been hung up uh, because of his use of marijuana. Now, here's the deal. Um, to, to become a citizen, 
Um, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, they have a policy that lists use of marijuana among other federally controlled substances as a conditional bar to establishing what they call good moral character. Um, it's a general requirement for U.S. citizenship, and it gauges whether an applicant measures up to the standards of average citizens of the community in which he resides. Now, even though a number of states have legalized or decriminalized marijuana use, the drug still is a controlled substance at the federal level. All right, so Young, he turns 74. He has apparently been, and no, I mean, there's no secret about this, Neil Young has, you know, been very admittedly involved with lots of marijuana use. Um, let's see, I mean, he, you know, he, he was involved in a marijuana bust or two over time. Um, you know, he's freely discussed the fact that he uses marijuana. He talks about being arrested, you know, with, you know, several of his bands. You know, he's written books talking about how he's a regular marijuana user. In other words, he, he's kind of like, he's sort of like Willie Nelson in certain respects. He wants to be a, but Willie Nelson is, of course, a U.S. citizen. Neil Young is not a U.S. citizen, and he wants to be one. So he can vote in next year's election. And it appears that at least at the moment, he passed the test, no problem with that, but it appears that his admitted marijuana use and you know marijuana arrests years and years and years ago are holding him back. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here, here, here's my question. The, he, he says, this is what he says to his fans, I sincerely hope I have exhibited good moral character and will be able to vote my conscience on Donald Trump and his fellow American candidates. He writes on his website. So, I mean, he wants to, he wants to be a U.S. citizen so he can vote against Donald Trump in 2020. No, no question about it. He's taken the test. It's hung up over his past marijuana use. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am genuinely curious as to what you think. All right, we, we have clearly a different view of marijuana in 2019 than we did perhaps in the 60s and 70s. All right? Neil Young, admitted marijuana user. Should this be a basis for denying him citizenship in 2019? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is one of those where I'll tell you where I come down on this in, in just a couple minutes. But I'm legitimately curious that we're not talking about prosecuting him for marijuana use we're taught we're saying hey to be a citizen you have to have good moral character and typically use of illegal drugs and that's what marijuana still is on the federal level typically that's a disqualifier is this is neil young being treated in unfair fashion and i guess you know big picture should marijuana use be a basis for excluding anybody who wants to become a citizen Let's start with Eileen in Greendale. Hi, Eileen. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Well, I just have a comment, and, you know, um, I, I keep hearing, you know, people talk dual citizenship. My husband was Canadian. He became a U.S. citizen after 9-11. He felt he owed it to this country to be a citizen. Right. And uh, when he became a citizen, I think it was, I don't know, back in 2012 or 13. He was explicitly told 
during his interviews, etc., that the United States does not accept dual citizenship by anyone. Hmm. And in other words, they were telling him, you can't go back to Canada and vote right. or do something, you know. And, you know, I, I keep hearing people say, well, I have dual citizenship. You know, I was born in Ireland, but I have dual. When they are here living as an American citizen, they don't have dual citizenship. Yeah, I guess the, the bottom line is, though, he could go back to Canada and he could still vote in Canada as well, right? Then he would relinquish his American yeah. citizenship. Yeah. Let's talk about the larger issue. Do you think marijuana should be a basis for excluding him? Um, you know, I, I my first reaction is no. I mean, you know, if he does it occasionally, but how much of a record does he have with that? Well, you know, I mean, I, he, I, yeah. No, thanks for calling. Well, I mean, he's 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 written. This is the interesting thing. I mean, he's he's written books. I mean, he's written autobiographies and things like that. And you know, drug use is is not a secret. And and to his credit, he he doesn't minimize. He's yeah, he he smokes dope. You know, he 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 does it. He's a dope smoker. He's been a dope smoker for you know decades. That's that's what he does. He's simply, I think, arguing that in 2019, smoking marijuana isn't a reflection of, you know, it doesn't reflect on his his moral, quote-unquote, moral character. And the assumption that just because he smokes pot means he doesn't have sufficient moral character to come into the United States, that's wrong. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Neil Young wants to come to the United States, wants to become a U.S. citizen. He's passed the test. He says he wants to be a U.S. citizen by next year so he can vote against President Trump. Okay, well, the problem is he has an admitted long history of marijuana use. My guess is there's other stuff going on as well. But he has an admitted long history of marijuana use, and that's, that's hanging him up because we have requirements that say, okay, you know, one of the things is that if you are a user of controlled substances, that is a conditional bar to coming into this country because it reflects on your moral character. So is that archaic? Is that unfair? And my answer is no, it's not. Now, there may be a point in time where, all right, federal law changes with regard to marijuana use. And and maybe maybe that's going to be two years from now. Maybe it's going to be five years from now. Maybe it's going to be... 10 years from now. I I think maybe that's going to happen at some point in time. I understand where history is moving. But at this moment, all right, it's still against the law. It's against federal law. And you have somebody who, you know, to his credit, he's an unrepentant, you know, pothead and, and a drug user. And it's one thing, a pot user, it's one thing, again, for Willie Nelson, who's a citizen, to be saying, I, I smoke dope. Okay, that, that, that's fine. We're not talking about taking away his citizenship. But what we're talking about is whether or not somebody who's an admitted drug user, and again, people maybe think that the law should be changed. I understand and appreciate that. But until it is, I, I think the country has every right to, to just say no to, to Neil Young, and he can continue to vote in Canada, and he can continue to you know come into the United States and make all sorts of money here, but that's different than making him a citizen. All right, let us go where angels fear to tread. In 1985, there is this 
Okay, for for decades and decades and decades, there has been this thing that around around December was erected in the Capitol Rotunda. And people would go and they would decorate it with tinsel and they'd decorate it with lights and they'd put, you know, different ornaments and things on it. Now, in 1985, and this would be Tommy Thompson, right? We, we started calling this a, well, Thompson, I think, was 86, as it turns out. Um, we, we started calling this a holiday tree. Before that, it had been a Christmas tree. Then it became a holiday tree, and it was a holiday tree through the Thompson administration and through the Doyle administration. And then, you know, after Scott Walker got elected, it became a Christmas tree. So we've been calling it a Christmas tree for the last eight years. Last week, Tony Evers, in what I, I think was a not so a not so subtle here, screw you to Scott Walker and to his administration and the people that supported Scott Walker sent out a notice. It's no longer a Christmas tree. It is now back to being a holiday tree. Now, this has, all right, gotten some people that are upset um, because we're now calling it a holiday tree again. And as a result, you've got some legislators, including, you know, one in the assembly who's now introducing a resolution saying that this tree, it's going to be called, it should be called from now on the Wisconsin State Christmas Tree. Now, this is an interesting issue as well. The Wisconsin State Journal, which is the Madison, the paper out of Madison, they, whenever they refer to this, they don't call it a holiday tree. Matter of fact, what they say, according to their state journal style book, is these are Christmas trees, not holiday trees. So regardless of what Tony Evers calls it, it's it's a Christmas tree, which is an interesting point because if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it looks like a duck, you know, it's a duck. It's not a porcupine. So... Let's tee this up. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand, you know, the the politically correct among us say, well, it, it is the holidays, and so, you know, we don't want people to feel left out. We don't want, you know, our, our Jewish friends, you know, who don't celebrate Christmas, we don't want them, you know, left out. Of course, I, I, I don't know any Jewish people that, that put a Christmas tree up or, you know, a holiday tree up in, in their house. We don't want people who are agnostic. We don't want people who are atheists. We don't want people who are Muslim to be left out. But at the same time, I don't see any of those folks erecting, you know, the, putting these trees up and decorating them with ornaments and, and lights. Here's my point. It's a Christmas tree, right? It, it's, it's not a holiday tree. It is what it is. I actually agree with the Wisconsin State Journal. Mark the tape on this. It's a Christmas tree. We are putting it up over the holiday season, but it, it's because of Christmas. Now, there might be other things that you want to put in the Capitol Rotunda to be inclusive. All right, let's let's put a menorah up there. You know what? Whatever. Okay, there are other things that are celebrated by other religions that that that's fine. If if you want to put it up there, I don't have an issue with it. But I understand in some respects people roll their eyes and say, okay, it's a name. What do we care what we call it? To me, again, this is Tony Evers deciding here. I'm going to kind of like give a subtle jab to Governor Walker and to the people who supported him. You know, we're going to call this a holiday tree. 
What is it? Is it a Christmas tree? Is it a holiday tree? What is it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I guess you could argue, well, who cares what you call it? We could call it Fred if you want. My only point is, why are we pretending that it's a holiday tree when it's not? It's a Christmas tree. Can't we just call it what it is, and can't people simply accept that? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Crew is lining up the calls we discuss in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. I admit these conversations make my, my head explode. That This idea that the, the, the tree that they're putting up in the rotunda is anything other than a Christmas tree. It's Christmas. They're putting up the tree. And you've got these people obsessed with political correctness. Oh, we've got to call it a holiday tree. Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, let, I mean, let's, let's get real here. Like, I, I don't know anyone who puts up a holiday tree. Um, I actually consider myself, I, I, I lean left, so I, I'm a little bit more politically correct than some of my friends. <laughs> but, I mean, it is it is what it is, you know. Like, they're going to, at some point, they're going to put a menorah up in the Capitol this year, this, yep. during this holiday season. Yep. And they're not going to call it a holiday candlestick. Yeah, that, 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 so. yeah, I'm so glad you called it. That, that's exactly right. We're going to put a menorah up, appropriately so. We're not yeah. going to say this is a holiday candlestick or a holiday candle set. We're going to say this is a menorah. Why don't we just say right. this is a Christmas tree? Because that's what it is. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it, it's an insult to if somebody wants to say it's a holiday candlestick, that's Immensely insulting. Well, right. So that, it's like, right. It's no, insulting I'm, to call it a holiday treat. It's a Christmas <laughs> treat. Right. Thanks, Fred. That, that's exactly what it is. It is what it is. And it's just so, it's mind-boggling to me. And again, I understand that there's bigger issues about what you call the thing. But it, but it is, I think, indicative of this idea that, oh, my gosh, we have to worry that there's somebody out there that's going to feel offended or excluded or upset if we call something what it is. Now, I have a text here that makes a great point. Jeff, you and I both went to Nicolay High School. Both of us have lots of Jewish friends. That is absolutely true. None of my Jewish friends call it a Christmas, call it call it a holiday tree. Um, you know, that that's... Yeah, I mean that, that that that's it. You come over to my house, we put up the Christmas tree. That's what it is. 414-799-1620. Um let's talk to Rosie in Illinois. Rosie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um I agree with you 100%. It is a Christmas tree. It is not a holiday tree. We don't put it we don't call Memorial Day, another name. We don't call the 4th of July, another name. Right. We don't call and Veterans Day, another name. We call them by what they are. Right. It's, so right. it's, it's, Chris, right. it's, it's, it's Christmas where, you know, a, a good portion of the population celebrates. And it's, it's not meant to be exclusionary. If you're somebody who doesn't celebrate Christmas, well, that, that's fine. You still get the days off. Nobody's going to make you do that. But why do we pretend that Christmas does not exist? And there's something else I wanted to share with you. I received, there was a flyer in the newspaper here in Illinois, a large retail company, um, not Kohl's, not Sears, but another one that, you know, they put out their holiday flyer. And they called it W-I-S-H-M-A-S, Happy Wishmas Month. <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, did you just lose that customer? I am not <laughs> going to shop at your store anymore. 
because uh, it's, if you, you know, if that's what it's going to, a retailer is going to go that way, it's just let's call it a wishing time right. instead of a Christmas time. I'm, so. No, I'm no, I'm with you, Rose. Thanks for calling. Okay, here's a number of text. Bill writes, Christmas is, above all, a religious holiday, celebrating the birth of Christ. But it does have a secular side that teaches joy and goodwill. Nothing reminds us more than the tree that symbolizes the season. It's it's a Christmas tree. Um, yeah, Jeff, I can solve this problem for you. If you purchase your tree from a holiday tree farm, then you can call it a holiday tree. Otherwise, you get it from a Christmas tree farm, then it's a Christmas tree. Um, yeah, I mean, right, that, that's the whole idea. It's this, we're gonna pander to, you know, the, the PC crowd. Okay, Jeff, if it's a holiday tree, shouldn't it be put up for all the holidays, not just Christmas? It's a Christmas tree, which, which is my only point here. Another text, Jeff, what holiday are we celebrating? Right, we're celebrating Christmas. And I guess that, that's my only point, that we, we have people that are just obsessed with, let's not call something what it is. Let's pretend that it's, that it's not this. And I will tell you something. I, I think if you, for the vast majority of people who, who aren't, who do not celebrate Christmas, and if you ask them, gee, are you, first of all, what is that? And they're going to tell you it's a Christmas tree. We, we all know that. Secondly, you're going to say, gee, are you offended by the fact that we have this big, beautiful evergreen tree that's got all the lights and all that? Are you offended by the fact that that's in the Capitol Rotunda? And, okay, maybe you're going to find one, maybe two people that, that are. But, you know, this is, it's a Christmas tree, period. And I understand, you know, what, this is this is Tony Evers and Tony Evers is trying to stick it to, you know, the the Walker folks and he's trying to stick it to I don't know people of faith who uh, again, you know, recognize that this is what it is, but you know, wh- where do we end up with this? So in any event, that's the latest controversy. You know, the Republicans are are moving to pass a law that says what this is. I don't know that you need that. But the truth of the matter is, whatever Tony Evers and his politically correct pandering wants to call it, let's understand what this really is. It's a Christmas tree, which is interestingly, like I say, why of all places, the Wisconsin State Journal newspaper recognizes that this is, in fact, a Christmas tree, and that's what they call it. This is one of those situations where maybe a lot of us can learn from the policy of the Wisconsin State Journal. All right. I'm sorry. There's one other thing I want to talk about briefly before we turn the show over to um, to John. I, I'm not a hockey fan. I like I like a lot of sports. My, my wife will say if you if you ask her, gee, you know, what sport does, does Jeff like to watch? And she'll say, well, it depends on what's on TV. So I, I watch basketball. I'm a big baseball fan. I watch football, of course. Um, I watch English Premier League soccer on, on the weekends. Go Liverpool. Um, I, I, I don't watch a lot of hockey. I just I didn't play hockey when I was growing up. I do I understand the rules and stuff. Yeah, but I just I, I don't get into the game of hockey. And I know I know people who are hockey fans, like my colleague and friend Gene Miller. I mean I, I understand they really get into it and they live or die by it. It it's just it's just not my my thing. But I appreciate, you know, how difficult and fast the game is, etc. Um there is a guy, his name is Don Cherry. And, you know, he he played hockey. He has been a hockey commentator for like 35 years. And he's a Canadian hockey commentator. And he's known for 
his his bombast. I mean, he's a guy that he he always he shows up for like the hockey night in Canada broadcasts, and he's always wearing these like loud sport coats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he's he's famous for political incorrectness and and calling it like he sees it and he you know he he said things about how you know the 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 hockey players that come from Europe, they're kind of wusses compared to the hockey players that grow up in Canada. And he doesn't like these guys wearing visors and face masks. And he's, he's you know, he's like, he's, he's an old school guy. And he's incredibly popular. At least he's been incredibly popular. And he's always said stuff that's kind of edgy. But he says stuff that a lot of people think. And so he's never crossed the line. He just got fired from, from his gig. Um, Saturday night, they were talking about um, Veterans Day, and they, they call it something different. They call it Remembrance Day in Canada. But, you know, he was he was talking on the air about um, insufficient patriotism of Canadians who weren't wearing small plastic poppies in honor of military personnel who died during World War One. The poppy is a prominent symbol of Remembrance Day, which is observed on Mondays in Canada, just like Memorial Day is here. Um, what he complained about is that nobody in downtown t- Toronto wears a poppy in contrast with small cities. And then what he said was he was apparently talking about immigrants. He said, you people love to come here Whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you can pay a couple bucks for a poppy or something like that. These guys paid for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. These guys paid the biggest price. So what his remarks were interpreted as doing is criticizing immigrants, which are about half of the Toronto population, for coming to Canada and not having the sufficient degree of patriotism that people who were born in Canada did. Um, he got fired for this. And I guess what I thought was was interesting, and of course, you know, the if he becomes too controversial, you know, Hockey Night in Canada can fire him. Who cares about that? It is interesting because if you look at all the things that this guy has said over the years, you can find a stuff that I mean is is a lot more uh, offensive. I, I would argue, without getting into a debate about how offensive what he said was and was this insulting to immigrants, he, he said a lot of other stuff that you could go back and say, wow, this is really crossing the line. In any event, I, I bring this up only because in our discussions about political correctness, it is very clear to me that now more than ever, you know, people who are in the public eye, people who are on television, etc., you, you know, people who are in the media, you, you've got to public figures you really have to be extremely careful about what you say because you know if you say anything that people are going to find to be uh, offensive whether that's your intention or not whether you've thought it through or not you're going to be out of a job don cherry maybe he deserved to be fired i don't know i mean the, the company decided he was too much of a hot potato they were tired of it so they got rid of him Okay, you know, he's gone, but it is a lesson to, I think, a lot of other people as well that, you know, we live in this, you know, we live in this time where, again, it's the cancel culture. And if you do something that's going to offend a group of people, don't expect other people to have your back. When we come back, John McCure's in. We'll find out what he has on his mind, an incredibly successful honor honor flight fundraising event yesterday. John deserves a lot of credit. Everybody who contributed deserves a lot of credit as well. We'll talk to John in just a minute.